Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome to episode number 152 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Recorded for you this fine August 3rd of 2015. I'm your host, Russ K5TUX, and with me is Pete from Montreal, V2XPL. How's it going, Pete? Good day. It's going awesome. It's summertime. Summertime, yeah. Yay. We still have like over a month of summer left, which is very cool. Yeah, it depends where you live. <laughs> <laughs> For us in the civilized world, we have yeah. over a month of summer left. Uh, we have more than that. Like summer goes into like, you know, October. It's good weather into October. I mean, it's not like pool and tanning weather in October, but it's still <laughs> almost summer. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, but I digress. Yes, and Bill Cosby is in the news. Anyway, and we also have Cheryl who's sitting across from me. Hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> hi. Oh, hi. don't start on the hi yeah, thing. That's yeah, an yeah, inside don't. joke. So. <laughs> yeah, I know that one. <laughs> All right, so we have some stories to get to. Our first segment deals with amateur radio topics, so we Yay. should probably get to those. Yes. Speaking of amateur radio, I tried to call... Uh, one of my friends on the radio before, and my radio seems to have died. So then I pulled out my handy talkie, you know, as a trusty backup, and that died too. <laughs> You're so, just not uh, having much luck because your antennas have been down for some time, and now your radios are down. Yeah, I actually threw up an antenna for a field day, and uh, that gave me a good idea to put up another one. And uh, turns out my handy talkie just had dead batteries, so we solved that pretty darn quick. And we're back on the air, live. <laughs> Anyways, that's my... Uh, Personal ham radio story today. Not, a, not even a very good one. Amateur Radio Parody Act. Back in the news. Uh, so the Amateur Radio Parody Act of 2015 is gaining momentum. Uh, to date, according to the ARRL, Regulatory Affairs Office, more than 4,300 letters have been received from league members since the Amateur Radio Parity Act of 2015 grassroots campaign began. And they're all urging their members in both branches of Congress to become co-sponsors of the bill. Uh, to help maintain the momentum, many ARRL division directors have been taking a letter-generated tool to conventions and handfests, sending letters urging members of Congress to sign on as co-sponsors of the Amateur Radio Parity Act of 2015 via ARRL is allowing the headquarters staff to keep track of how many pieces of correspondence are actually going to which U.S. representatives and senators. That's not a bad idea, actually. These are uh, sorted and hand-delivered to Capitol Hill. Hand-delivered, really. I'd like to know more about that. Um, as ARRL President K. Craigie, N3KN, has pointed out, delivering these letters to Capitol Hill in person offers an opportunity to speak with congressional staffers. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Con um, Congress upcoming August recess offers an ideal opportunity to uh, meet with lawmakers while they are in their home states and districts. Clubs also may want to invite a member of Congress to visit a meeting. Uh, those interested in following the trajectory of H.R. 1301 may want to sign up to receive the ARRL's free legislative update newsletter. So the source from this is uh, right from the uh, horse's mouth, ARRL.org, and you can go into their news section and you'll see that. And of course, it'll be in the show notes. For those who aren't aware, and I can't imagine anyone who's listening to this isn't aware, H.R. 1301 and the Parity Act are all about allowing amateur radio operators to put up antennas and stuff in places where they are currently restricted due to covenants and such. If uh, this affects you, and I know it affects a lot of our listeners and a lot of amateur radio operators in general, you should probably try and jump on this bandwagon whenever you can, although it definitely appears to be gaining traction. Hopefully... The Parity Act will be passed eventually, and uh, people will be able to not have to put 
antennas up in their flagpoles anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's been a, a long-standing problem uh, in Canada as well as in the United States. And with the advent of um, you know neighborhoods disappearing, well, not sorry, neighborhoods aren't disappearing, but uh, the traditional home disappearing, and people putting up you know condos, and you have associations, and everybody wants everything to be pretty, and blah blah blah. And uh, you know, I can understand because some uh, towers can be pretty hideous. But uh, there's uh, ways of putting up uh, antennas that, uh, you know, are uh, very, very useful and uh, don't really take away from the neighborhood in any way. And uh, those people bitching, what happens when everything goes down? They'll be the first people uh, screaming for a tower to be put up. Absolutely. And we have a story sort of about that uh, coming up here in just a minute. But since this is actually a local story, this comes out of Rolla, Missouri, which is not too far from here. I'll let Cheryl read this one. Okay. Despite computers, there's still interest in ham radio. You'd think with all the computers and homes, all the smartphones in the hands of everybody from children through senior citizens, all the internet, the World Wide Web, the forums, the blogs, and Twitter and Facebook and email and chat boxes and social media, there would be absolutely no interest in an old-time hobby like ham radio. We saw a dip, Steve Miller, former president of the Rolla Regional Amateur Radio Society, acknowledged. But now we're seeing a resurgence. He's resurgence, he said. There's a lot of interest in emergency preparedness. Another attraction is a combination of technologies. Amateur radio today can include radios, alternative power. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Sorry, I'm not reading this quite correctly. No, you're reading it correctly. Okay, satellites and computing and much more. And many Missouri University of Science and Technology students have amateur radio licenses because of the technical appeal. So that's a highly abbreviated story because it did go on for some time, but it was kind of interesting because it was very close to home. Uh, Missouri Science and Technology University is actually in Rolla, which is about 100 miles from here, give or take. And it's cool to see that people in uh, academia and, and in general are still embracing technology and that it's being brought up with collegiate studies as well. And that a lot of these uh, technology students are embracing amateur radio technology, even though there is a proliferation of other communication networks out there. Radio offers you the opportunity uh, to study electronics, propagation, um, you know, emergency preparedness. A lot of the uh, technical teachers, you know, whether they be old or young, are licensed amateurs themselves and pass on that love. That's the reason that I'm a ham today, is because I went to tech school, knew very little about ham radio. I knew it existed. You know, I'd I'd played with CBs and stuff in the past as as a ute. But um, our teachers, uh, two of our teachers were uh, licensed ham radio guys, and they asked us if we wanted to pass our license because we already knew the, the techie part, being tech students. All we needed to do was learn the radio you know, rules, the, the do's and don'ts. And uh, in, in a weekend, we had our licenses. I mean, we had a, you know, tech students have a head start because you already know all the electronics that you need to learn about, um, or, you know, many tech students, not all of them. But uh, like I said, you can study propagation. Uh, they were even using ham radios um, in, in our, uh, and we had an antenna class in, in way, way back when, when I went to tech school, we studied antennas. And uh, we had to design and build our own antennas, and we had to use ham radio to test it out. So, um, yeah, tech schools are a great, great place to, uh, to spawn uh, new hams. And one of the bits that I cut out of this story that I didn't read was that the fact that they do regular testing at Missouri S&T as well. So they definitely ah, encourage their students to become amateur radios and, of course, in the surrounding communities as well. So very good. Congratulations yeah. to Rolla and, and all of the other places that do things similar to this. People are saying that it's dying, but it's, it's really not. There's, you know, because, like the story says, you can combine it with so many other technologies. Um, and, and just the nostalgic aspect of, of going back to you know, bare-bones communications has an appeal even to young guys, you know, young or young guys and gals, young people. So, yeah, I don't think it's dying uh, at all. The the only thing that scares me is uh, um, how it's probably the same thing in the states, but a lot of the bandwidth is being sold off by the governments to private corporation, 
and you know people are saying well ham radio is dying why do you need so much bandwidth and so every once in a while you lose a little chunk of your bandwidth so you know in, in many many years maybe we'll be restricted that way but we'll just have to wait and see well at least the ARRL and other organizations are trying to fight the loss of available bandwidth which is uh, a good thing so even if you're not real strong in the ARRL they do fight the good fight for amateur radio spectrum if nothing else so Yep, so there's the uh, Radio Amateurs of Canada. They do the same thing here. So, And I'm sure it's the same the world over. Yep. It's funny because, you know, I hear a lot of people complain about the ARRL and how they don't do anything. The same thing people complain about RAC here and how they don't do anything. But, you know, every couple of years they're, they're there and they're fighting for our bandwidth. And, you know, if, if nothing else, support your local organization. It's, it's not like it costs like a million dollars to be a member either. So uh, Radio Amateurs of Canada is $50 a year. And you get a cool magazine on top of that. Yep, same here in the States. So support your local organizations if you feel so inclined. And uh, on the order of emergency communications and such like, we have this. Pima County plans ham radio network as communications backup. Yay. Pima County officials are working on a network to act as a backup plan in case of major emergencies. The mesh network uses licensed ham radio operators. During an emergency that overwhelms first responder communications and phones don't work, the system can save lives. The hams will have their radios that can communicate around the world, but they also will have a special antenna system that will allow them to receive and send information. Several other U.S. cities have mesh networks est- established. During an emergency, people can use the mesh network to make phone calls, send emails, files, even video and photos if they need to. The antennas use line of sight, so there would have to be 50 to 100 of them to connect the entire Tucson area. To make it strong, dependable system, no matter what catastrophe the city is dealing with. And as more amateur operators join the mesh network, it will grow. Pima County officials say they hope it will cover Tucson mountain to mountain within a few years. And the Pima County Office of Emergency Management is recruiting ham radio operators to volunteer in its emergency communications group. Pima County, by the way, if it wasn't clear from the article, is in southern Arizona. It's in Tucson. So if you happen to be in the Tucson area and want to become a part of this, they are actively recruiting you. And that actually came from the Tucson News. We're we're hearing more and more about mesh networking, and it's really interesting. It is, and actually I got a an email from a listener about mesh networking that... I somehow lost until today, but I did find it. But in the next episode, in episode 153, we are going to be talking specifically about ham radio mesh networking. So Ah, if that's something that interests you, you want to check out that episode for sure. Of course, you should be listening to all of them anyway. So that was that. That's our amateur radio topics for the evening. So let's move on to some Linux and open source topics. Anyone want to tackle this first one? Find the perfect Linux-compatible PC with Ubuntu's hardware database. Uh, Some PCs are more difficult to run Linux on than others, and that's why we have so many flavors of Linux. Uh, But it's all about the drivers. Some laptops are available with Linux pre-installed, but plenty aren't, even though they may make great Linux PCs. Uh, The Ubuntu certified hardware database helps you find Linux-compatible PCs. Even if you aren't running Ubuntu, it'll tell you which laptop and desktop from Dell, HP, Lenovo, and others that are most Linux friendly. If you're looking for a PC, or sorry, if you're looking for a Linux compatible PC, this is a great place to start. Uh, if it isn't in that database, though, be sure to Google around. There may be a forum thread dedicated to getting your laptop of choice set up with Linux. And uh, definitely, I think this is a great thing. Um, databases that will help you. I mean, what I've done is just trial and error. I have a laptop. I have a flavor of Linux. I throw it on and I see how it works. And Sometimes they're compatible. Sometimes they're not. Uh, I've had tons of problems with various uh, you know, issues, dependencies, whatever it may be. Uh, some flavors of Linux are just too heavy for the really old laptops that I've had. So uh, if you can avoid all that. I mean, of course, I'm, I'm the geeky type. I don't mind playing around and trying. And if it doesn't work, you wipe it out. The beauty of Linux is you can install a whole 
you know, a system in, in less than 15 minutes, whereas Windows will take you like a whole weekend kind of thing, not to mention Microsoft products. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, if you don't have that time or that inclination and you just want to, you know, bang, you want to find something that works, uh, you know, get on them. I'm, I, I don't know who put this together who's responsible for this database. Uh, but I think it's a, a very, very good idea. I guess it's the Ubuntu Foundation. It is hosted on Ubuntu.com. It's at Ubuntu.com slash certification slash desktop, which is where you can find the information on whether your laptop or desktop will run Linux you know, better per, you know, perhaps than some other system. Uh, but what is nice about it is that it really talks about Linux compatibility, not necessarily Ubuntu compatibility. So you can use it as a guide for whatever flavor of Linux you'd pre- you know prefer to run. Uh, because at the core of all Linux distributions is the Linux kernel, and that is where the driver support is contained. So as long as you're running Linux, it doesn't really matter what distribution it is. It should be compatible with whatever hardware is listed in this database distribution agnostic uh and that story by the way came from lifehacker.com which is a great site by the way they have some really cool stuff on there so if you uh, are not familiar with lifehacker you should check them out and it's got a picture of pancakes how could you go wrong that's right they tell you how to hack your life which is very cool uh, my life could use some hacking <laughs> Most- there you go um they've got uh dell 113 desktops 279 laptops listed HP, 128 desktop, 188 laptops. It's a pretty uh, decent database. And one thing that can be said is that if you have a more modern computer, there is a very good chance that it will run Linux properly. But some very new chipsets, particularly video cards, uh, may not be supported because the drivers haven't either been released yet or the code hasn't been released so that a Linux driver can be created. Uh, So this database may help you out in that department particularly if you have something very bleeding edge that you're trying to operate linux on and this next story is actually tailor-made for cheryl to read so we're going to go ahead and let you do it okay rackspace reaching out to women with linux for ladies rackspace started the program last year to help recruit more women said deborah carter senior manager of rackspace's open cloud academy a fee-based boot camp with tracks in Linux and network operations. According to a 2015 study by New York-based Course Report, boot camp enrollment across the nation will grow by 138% in 2015, with about 16,000 expected to graduate. The study found that the tech boot camps are booming in popularity, with more and more people taking a gamble that an investment averaging 11 weeks of time and a cost of $11,063 will move them beyond the quagmire and stagnant wages of the rising cost of living. The Labor Department and City of San Antonio have stepped in with grant programs to help people train for tech jobs, such as with the National 100 Million Tech Hire Initiative, which was announced in April and is being funded by the H-1B visa fee. Employers pay to import tech workers, San Antonio won $6 million in grants over four years. Project Quest, a San, Antro- San Antonio nonprofit, is acting as liaison for the federal grants and is reimbursing Rackspace for some of the Linux for Ladies scholarships. Project Quest is also using the funds to offset costs for training programs, such as USAA's Java Bootcamp for Veterans. But tuition may not be the only requirement to get in. For example, Open Cloud and Linux for Ladies applicants must achieve CompTIA certification to be considered. The Rackspace offers a free self-study program to help make that happen. And this all came from ExpressNews.com. This was kind of an interesting topic. I thought it was neat that the corporations or some corporations actually are actively recruiting women in technology. For anybody who's ever been to a tech conference, and I've been to many tech conferences, it is quite the sausage fest at those things. I will tell you that right up front. It's it's almost to the point where you make a point of noticing women at these tech conferences. They are so few and far between that it's actually noticeable when you actually see one. And that is definitely not how it should be. I think traditional roles kind of keep women out of tech industry. So it's really nice to see that corporations are getting behind initiatives like this and that women are feeling less uh, segregated, perhaps, uh, in the tech fields. And 
what's most interesting to me, I think, is that when I've been to these conferences, the women who are at these conferences tend to be the most knowledgeable and the most intelligent when it comes to the technology fields. They seem to be the best at it, and it's really sad to me that there are so few of them. So I threw this in there because I think it's really cool to see this kind of initiative coming up, and I hope that it continues because we're excluding people arbitrarily from tech fields who really need to be in those fields. I agree. Yeah, actually, one of the last conferences I went to with Russ, I think there were maybe... I always go through the um, the attendee list to see if there's anybody there that we know that we should try to track down. And I want to say that of the 1,500 or 2,000 people that were at the Large Installation Systems Administration Conference he was at, there was maybe a dozen women listed. Yeah. Now, granted, some of those may have had a male-ish name, but you know, when you're sitting in a hallway waiting for us to come out of class and there's a thousand guys and two women that pop out of a class you're like that's not good yeah and it's like that at every conference i've been to the the number of women has has gone up slowly but i would say that even at the one conference i've attended that had the most women at it i would say the population of women was no more than two percent of the entire population which is just ridiculous so again it's the interest there though like most most women aren't necessarily interested in techie stuff. But they should be because they're better at it than we are. They sh- Well, should or shouldn't. I mean, it's it's their choice, and, no. and I have no problems with that should they choose to. And I agree. All the women that I've worked with in technology tend to kick ass, and it's, 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 it's uncanny, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, they just don't seem to gravitate that way. I mean, you see more women in, you know, medical fields, law, whatever it may be, uh, even, you know, uh, industry captains of industry and stuff there's few but the ones that are there tend to be very high achieving but in technology it doesn't seem to attract you know it's like plumbing i don't know yeah i think it's societal conformity though that they're not attracted to it i i, I think there are plenty of women who are interested in technology there are just societal pressures and the just the general atmosphere of the universe i guess or however you want to say it that prevents them from actually trying to approach technology as a field of interest so well one thing that i've noticed at the conferences that you've gone to most men are bullies towards the women well and that's that's probably part of it yeah yeah i'm sure it is and and that's in not only in technology but in many fields you know, men are bullies to women because they feel threatened by the women because quite often the women will kick their asses. Right. You know, and, and I've seen that, you know, time and time again. And I, I just applaud every time. I think it's just hilarious. <laughs> you know, if, if, if it, there's no, whether you're working with a guy or a girl or, or, or a talking donkey, I mean, if the donkey knows what he's talking about, you know, <laughs> he should be included in the group. If somebody has something to add, you know, sex shouldn't matter. But yeah, I guess we do live in a very patriarchal society and have for many years. And like many things, it's going to take time to change. Yep. Layers. Onions have layers. <laughs> uh, that's a, what is that from? That's a donkey reference, by the way. It's from Shrek. From Shrek, yeah. Oh, right. I've <laughs> <laughs> heard that before. Anyway, moving on. This, to me, is actually kind of cool. I'm not sure why I found this, but I was, you know, Googling around looking for stuff to talk about. And I am a big proponent of using the GIMP for image editing, and I have used that for some time. But I came across this article, and I might give this one a try. It says, Photo XX, I'm going to say that. It might be Photox, but anyway, Photo (laughs) XX. That sounds like a Botox. Yeah. (laughs) It's getting dangerously close to something you can't say on television. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, pho- we're not on TV, though, so we're good. <laughs> That's true. Photo XX 15.08 is a free and powerful image editor for Linux that is good for both beginners and experts alike. A new major update for this application is released each month, so now it's time for yet another one. It is a big upgrade, and users will most likely notice it immediately. According to the change log, the menus have been reorganized, the user interface and mes- messages for index image files have been refined, working with thousands of unorganized image tags is now easier, and three new batch tools have been added. 
Moreover, parent directories are now buttons instead of text in the gallery navigation panel. The raw image noise measure has been improved, and new buttons will now quickly change the line color while drawing. Also, it's now possible to zoom out from a chosen image spot. The last gallery now works for albums. A few other GUI changes have been made, and a few minor fixes have been implemented as well. A complete list of changes and updates can be found in the official announcement. You can download Photo XX 15.08 right now from Softpedia. It's a binary file, so users should be able to install it with great ease. Well, that remains to be seen. But I'll tell you what, I was looking at the list of things that Photo XX can do, and as I was scrolling down through the list, I came to this one thing called Smart Erase, which has got to be the coolest image editing feature ever. It, it shows a picture of a landscape uh, taken, I think, in the German countryside. Then it shows an edited picture right below it. They edited this particular photo using the Smart Erase feature. And what they did was, apparently, you have a, essentially a paintbrush tool. And by using this paintbrush tool, you rub it over the image in places where you want to remove some specific feature it removes by analyzing adjoining pixels and adjusting where you're running the brush stroke using adjoining pixels and by this you're basically able to sweep the brush over the image and what they did was they removed power lines and trash from a picture just by sweeping the paintbrush over the image and how many times have you taken a picture of something like a cool picture of the sunset from like your moving car where there's like a power line hanging in, in the middle of the frame, which is like the greatest picture you've ever taken, but you really need to remove that power line. And how hard is it to take that out of a photo image? But if you could just sweep this along and turn that power line into sky, like automatically, that would be like the greatest thing ever. And I cannot wait to try this. There are so many plugins that you can use with this thing. There's noise suppression. There's selectable color intensity. There's brightness distribution, defogging, vignette creation, where you can actually highlight in a small bubble one portion of a photo, unwanted object removal. Just the list of features in this in this application just sounds so cool to me, and I cannot wait to give it a try. There's, I mean, and it sounds so easy to use. And another thing I did find is that all of the plugins that are available for GIMP are available for this because it, it can use any GIMP plugin using a couple of different features available in Photo XX, and there's a wiki and a tutorial on how to incorporate all of GIMP's features in this application. This, to me, seems like the coolest thing, and it also does uh, high-definition stuff as well for high-definition photography. If does you're it into treat raw images, did you see? It, yes, it does treat wow. raw images. If you're into photo editing at all, this application sounds amazing, and I, I personally That's, cannot wait to try it. I mean, it sounds like some of the features you were describing sound like a lot of the stuff that you can get in the uh, in the Adobe Creative Suites in Photoshop. And you know, Photoshop is is a program that'll run you a few hundred dollars easily. The uh, latest uh, Creative Suite was going for eight or nine hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so if you can get this for free and it'll do everything that Photoshop will do, you know, Photoshop, for those who don't know, is kind of the industry standard for touching up photograph, uh, photographs. Yeah, I'm excited about this. I want to I check it out, too. It, it, it can also do, it, there's a specific feature where you can take a scanned or a photographed picture of a page from a book and it will flatten it like an ebook. Really? Yep. I mean, this thing just sounds amazing. Truly amazing to me. Yeah, I'm going to see one. I'm going to see if I can uh, download and install it. That'll be my first <laughs> test. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I'm really, I mean, this is what I do for a living. So I'm dying to see what this can do. Yeah, GIMP yeah. and I do not get along well at all. So the, uh, this might uh, the be GIMP the new isn't answer. obvious when you start, but once you play around with it a little bit, um, especially earlier versions of the GIMP where you would it would open up in different, in different boxes, you know. Right. Uh, now it's it's a little bit easier to use, I find, and or maybe it's just because I'm getting used to it. But uh, it, it's not too bad. It's there's a lot of things that are different from Photoshop for those who may know Photoshop. Uh, but 
you can kind of figure it out, you know, by kind of putzing around a little bit. You figure out what one feature is called versus the other one. If this is even more user friendly, because because yeah, I agree that GIMP needs a little bit of getting used. It's got a bit of a learning curve. It does, and I've gotten used to the GIMP, so I know a lot of its features, and I can use it pretty well. But even so, even though I've spent so much time working with the GIMP, I can't wait to try this one because it just seems so cool. And, and it looks like some of the things that really take a lot of time and effort to do in GIMP can be done very easily in this. And that and that's the thing that attracts me the most, I think. Yeah, and it's got a nice, uh, like some of the screenshots I'm looking at, it looks pretty pretty snazzy, too. Yep, it all looks very cool. So give Photo XX a try, which, by the way, is at www.cornelix.com. That's K-O-R-N-L, or sorry, K-O-R-N-E-L-I-X.com slash Photo XX, F O T O X X dot HTML. Well, moving on from photo editors, we're going to talk a little bit about Linux in the Ham Shack, which is our third segment and the name of the show. Yay. All right, so what I'm going to look at is distributions for Linux that are specifically designed for ham radio use. There are actually more of them than I thought there were. We've talked about many of them in previous episodes, but I thought I would run through a list of all of the ones that I could find and also a couple of installation guides that will help you install Linux or not install Linux, but install ham radio software on Linux. If you don't happen to be using one of these distributions that is specifically designed for ham radio use. Now, the problem with a lot of these I've noticed is that they have not been updated in some time. So let's go ahead and take a look at some of these, and I'll try and do them in release order. In other words, by the ones that were released the furthest back to the most recent. So I've used five of these. Not bad. No, that's not bad. Uh, I think I've tried all of them except for a couple, um, because a couple I didn't actually know about until today. Let's start with the one that was updated the longest to go and that one would be harv's hamshack hack and that's actually one that we've talked about before and i didn't realize this one has not been updated since 2005 i actually thought harv's hamshack hack uh, was a little bit more recently developed but apparently it is not it's uh, too bad because it's a really complete one it is and it was one i think it was one that sort of started the ham radio distributions in general shouldn't say is was (laughs) right was the one that started the ham radio distributions in general it was based on nopix which is a debian based distribution from a while ago nopix is the one that created the concept of the live cd it was the very first linux distribution i believe it was the very first linux distribution that was released as a live version so you could run it straight off a cd and and it generally was a cd back in the day because thumb drives weren't really used for that purpose back then because they were very expensive but it was based on nopix the latest version that was released was 0.6 apparently it didn't even have a 1.0 release of harf samshack hack Uh, but it did find some popularity back a few years ago and we did mention it on some of our very earliest shows uh, you can still get it if you want to try it at hamshack-hack.sourceforge.net. It's still there. It's still available. But, of course, it hasn't been actively developed in more than 10 years. It's, it's more of a curiosity now at this point than anything else. Maybe Harv just thought it was perfect and he never really did anything to it. Well, that's very true. But there have been software updates to ham radio packages since then, many, many, many of them. And you don't necessarily want to be running 10-year-old software if you don't have to. So after that, we have uh, AFU Nopix, another Nopix-based distribution. This one was uh, written by some German hams. And I believe the entire distribution is in German. So I'm not sure how useful this will be to anyone who is not German or who doesn't speak German, but the distribution is out there. It was last developed in May 2009. The website for it is now gone, but you can still download it from Softpedia if you want to check it out and see if it works for you. Again, like I said, another Nopix-based distribution. The latest version that was released was 6.0.1, so it did have some active development for quite some time. I want to say that they initially released uh, the first version of AFU Nopix in 2003, 
so it was actively developed for over six years. Nopix is not terrible. It supports English, too. It does support English? Okay, that's good. Excellent. Yeah, I'm on the website. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. That's excellent. I, as long as uh, as long as you have relevant information, you can cut it at any time. <laughs> thank, you. thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much. So you can always check out that one if you want to. The next one is actually another uh, German-based distribution, which is FD Nuex. And I had never actually heard of this one before. They stopped developing oh, it in my. 2010. You can still find it, though, for download at linux-live-cd.org stroke question mark F-D-G-N-U-X. And, of course, the, the link to that will be in the show notes if you want to try it out. This one is based on Ubuntu, not Nopix. Uh, the last release was in August of 2010, so, again, it's been some time. This one is, I believe, specifically German. I don't think there's an English version of this one. So I'm on the website now, and it's all in French for some reason. Oh, French. Maybe it was French, not German. I'm sorry. I, I probably yeah, yeah. had that one it's, wrong. Uh, okay, for France Digimod Group. So I guess it's from France. Yeah, it's French. Sorry. I got that one wrong. Um, I, do not- I did notice when I went to the website that if you go up to the top, there's a little drop-down to select between French and English. Uh, however, if yep. you select English, it's still in French. It's, it's not terribly yes, useful. this is true. <laughs> <laughs> How strange is that? <laughs> Except that the little thing at the top says English, so yep. maybe the software is in English. I, I can't find anything that says that it supports English, though. Yeah, and I couldn't either. So if you are French, this one may be great for you. The next one on the list, the next most recent, is actually one from our good friend Rich. Uh, it's HamOS which was actually released in August of 2012. That yes. was the first and only release of, of HamOS uh, based on Ubuntu. I about Rich and HamOS. Yes, and now you remember. HamOS was awesome. The HamOS was really cool. I remember trying it. But how come you don't run it if it was so cool? Well, because I'm running something else. <laughs> <laughs> Rich did come out with HamOS back in August of 2012. You can still download it from SourceForge. Uh, The link, of course, will be in the show notes. Like I said, it's based on Ubuntu, and the latest version of HamOS is 12.48. And as I recall, that was the only version of HamOS ever released. Uh, He did release a couple of patches for it because there were some problems initially, but that, that was really the only version of HamOS that ever came out. If you want to check that one out based on Ubuntu, go ahead and do it. It's not its not a bad distribution. Uh, it's based on a live platform, so there's um, it's its not really an installer. I noticed a lot of the Ubuntu ones are basically live. Uh, they're, they're not really meant to be installed. They're just sort of be they're just sort of meant to be run in uh, virtual machine environments or directly off a of DVD. So you just use it. You would just use it while you're doing your ham radio stuff, and then you can go back to do whatever, whatever else you're it is you're using. Right. Your regular absolute the next most recent one on the list is shackbox and we've uh, talked about shackbox before this one was last released in january of 2014 it's uh, written by f0fak another french ham uh we talked about shackbox in the past because it, initially it was free to download and then it became a subscription download and now it's back to being free again uh, but again, the last update was in 2014. This one is also based on Ubuntu. And I'm not sure what the actual version number is. I think it just coincides with whatever the version of Ubuntu is that it's based on, which at that time would have been like 1310 or 1304 or something like that. Anyway, Shackbox, shackbox.net is available for free download again if you want to check that one out. Uh, and of course, like other Ubuntu-based ham radio distributions, it is a live DVD, just to be run in a VM environment or directly from optical media or a thumb drive or however it is you run your live DVDs. See, I'm just looking in the chat room here. Uh, VE3SRE apparently just downloaded FOTOXX, PhotoXX, something we just talked about. And uh, he said he's looking for a PPA. But yeah, according to the PhotoXX website, it is just a binary download, and that's how you install it. Not in the repos or anything like that. Back to our ham radio Linux distributions. The next one is uh, Digipup. And this one is done by W1HKJ, who is also the author of a little-known ham radio piece of software called FL Digi. 
And Digipop is a distribution based on Puppy Linux. So if you're not familiar awesome, with awesome. Puppy Linux, huh? Also awesome. Yes. If you're not familiar with Puppy, uh, you may have some problems with it because it is definitely different than other Linux distributions. If you're used to Debian or Fedora or stuff like that, Puppy can be a little bit intimidating. But this one is based on Puppy Linux. It's based on Puppy Linux 5.7.1, and I believe that coincides with the distribution for Digipop. I don't think it has its own distribution release number. I see that it was updated, or at least the website was updated in January of 2015, which makes it fairly recent, but I'm not actually sure how recent the release of Digipop is. And it's not really a release so much as an instructional website that shows you how to use ham radio software on puppy linux you know your mileage may vary if you want to try this one out but since it's also done by the author of fl digi someone who clearly knows something about running amateur radio software on linux you might want to check this one out and of course the link to where you can download that will be in the show notes and it does seem like it is if not actively developed at this point it's at least actively supported so if you want to give that one a try, you'll have some uh, a helping hand if you need it at least. And then the most recent ham radio distribution that is still actively developed, and as far as I can tell is the only one that is still actively developed, is Andy's Ham Radio Linux, and that one's done by KB1OIQ. Uh, you can find this at SourceForge. The most recent release is version 17, which was released in February of 2015, so not very long ago. It is actively developed. You can see the change log uh, for all of the things that have been updated in the latest release over at SourceForge. I actually downloaded and installed and ran this one earlier because I wanted to check it out since it is actually being developed still. It runs very well in a virtual machine environment. It, Like the other Ubuntu-based distributions, it's designed to be run directly from a live DVD. It's not meant to be installed. And in fact, as far as I can tell, cannot be installed. Uh, it uses the ICE window manager on top of Ubuntu. It runs very fast, which is nice. And it has almost every piece of amateur radio software installed by default that you would probably ever need. From Morse code tutors to antenna modelers to FL Digi to slow scan TV to satellite APRS, you know, if you can think of something that you might want to do in amateur radio, it's already pre-installed in this distribution. Uh, it's pretty slick. It's lightweight. Using the ICE window manager, it's not real pretty, uh, but it does work. It's very functional. And since you don't have to install it, it's very easy to use. So that... It. it doesn't look that bad. It, it's not terrible, but it's not my choice of window manager for sure. Well, no, but I mean, it's functional. That's what ham radio is supposed to be. And it is functional in such a way that it will run on very lightweight hardware. I believe the minimum requirements for Ubuntu are 1 gig of RAM and... Uh, 1 gigahertz CPU. 1 gigahertz CPU. And I think he says you need at yep. least 10 gigabytes of storage and better. And more is better. It comes in 32 and 64 bits also versions. Yep. I, I ran the 64-bit version and it worked very well. So excellent stuff. Oh, there. that's cool. Yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to try this one, too. I like it. Yep. I like the look of it. Well, you might very much like to just run it, then, if you're using a HamShack PC. Well, it's a PC, but, you know, I guess if I'm not going to run it, uh, if I'm not going to install it, nothing's stopping me from burning a DVD and playing with it every once in a while. That's very true. Yeah, excellent. All right, so there's a look at some specific ham radio Linux distributions. And, of course, I personally use Debian and you can use Ubuntu, and you can use almost any distribution to run amateur radio software. Some are easier than others. But if you want something that works with ham radio software straight out of the box, uh, there's quite a few options you can try. Although, if you're going to pick one that's actively supported, actively developed, you might want to look at either Digipop or Andy's Ham Radio Linux as ones that are relatively current. There's also a link that I'll throw into the show notes for some user guides for installing ham radio software on other types of distributions. There's one for Fedora, but unfortunately this one references Fedora 14, which is actually very old now because Fedora 22 is the current version of Fedora. But this might give you some insights to installing ham radio software on Fedora if that's the distribution you choose to use. 
There is a wiki page for Ubuntu if you want to install and run Hammer Radio software on Ubuntu at wiki.ubuntu.com slash amateur radio. The link to that will be in the show notes. And then if you happen to have a QB board, which is kind of like a BeagleBone or a Raspberry Pi, it's another one of those small single board computers, there is an entire guide written for installing and using ham radio software on a QB board, which is kind of cool. Maybe a little esoteric, but if you happen to have one of these devices or think you might want to buy one, this might be a great guide for you. And if Google is also your friend if there's another distribution that you want to run ham radio software on. But if you happen to be running a Debian-based distribution or an RPM-based Fedora Red Hat CentOS-type distribution, or SUSE for that matter, you're likely going to be able to run any of the software that you really want to without being distribution-specific. And if you want to try one of the ham radio distros, there are several of them out there. That is our Linux in the Ham Shack segment for the evening. With that, we get to move on to the music segment, and this selection is actually from me. It's my selection. This one is different. It may not be as different as I think it is, but I think for this program, people are going to consider it a little different. It's by a group called Sunwill, and the and the song is actually called The Highlights. It's not off any album that I could see. I think it was released as a single on Jamendo. The link to this, of course, will be in the show notes. This group is from Tomsk in Russia. It was released on my birthday in 2012, three years ago, December 5th. It runs a little over three and a half minutes. And I don't remember all of the tags that went along with this one. Pop, groove, funk, electronic, rock, electric guitar, drum. So let's give this one a spin and see what people think of it. It's The Highlights by Sunwill. I wish the only one I got who was behind You know I stay I woke up in the morning, my electric phone won't stop to keep calling. Trust me, daddy. It's better waking than a lie. I love this shit. It's gonna sweater than a bomb. Yeah. Newborn rock star. Come to do my best car. You won't come any closer. Many folks cruising in the minibar. Don't stop. It's all the friends of Hot Show. Give it up and make it down for a right day For anybody with you got to I wish the only one I got who was behind You know I stay hey, hey, You know I'll stay You know I think I'm one There is a lose behind You know I think about the same Or think about the same The fame The fame Wanna make a feed with Lincoln Nick yeah. It's all a friend of how to show the side of life of dreaming though. Give it up and make it down for a right day. For anybody with you got to be I the only one I got no words behind. You know I stay.
the same Well, let's get by saying the fame The fame Stop, I need you The Highlights by Sunwill. So, what do we think of that one? I liked it. It's very summery. It's not at all what I expected. <laughs> no, that's definitely not a Russ song. So, Well, I actually really like that song. So maybe it is a Russ song. Well, I really liked it too, which means you usually don't like the stuff I listen to. <laughs> well, sometimes it happens, I know. Yeah, I know. All right, well, good. I'm glad we all liked that one, even though it was a little unusual for the show. Not really hard rocky or anything like that, but it, I don't know. I, I started like perusing around Jamendo looking for dubstep stuff, and I came across that one, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I enjoyed that. All right, excellent. Glad to hear it. So, moving on from the music, let's uh, do some announcements and feedback. There's a couple of announcements I've got here. The first is that. Daryl Little, our ambassador, KI4LLA, was at the Roanoke Ham Fest last weekend. And uh, I, we didn't get a chance to talk to him, but I did see his posts about the, the show there on Twitter. And it looks like he had a good time, and I'm looking forward to hearing how it went and everything and find out about that. So if anybody went to the Roanoke Ham Fest or talked to Daryl while he was there, it'd be kind of cool to hear from you. So... Let us know if if you were out in Virginia over the weekend and send us some feedback and maybe we'll get a chance to talk to Daryl about it again on a future episode. But uh, again, that was on Saturday and it looked like a good time. Next announcement I have is that I found this podcast and the reason I found this podcast is because the the creator and host of this podcast was actually following Linux in the Hamshack over on Google+. I noticed that he did a podcast, and it's called the Faux Time Podcast. I'm not sure what that actually means because I haven't had a chance to listen to it. I believe it's subtitled The Other Ham Radio Podcast. But anyway, you can find that at AmateurRadio15.com, AmateurRadio15.com. He's recently released his 31st episode. So uh, if you want to check out another ham radio podcast and see if it's for you, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk to the host uh, on a future episode uh we got some feedback on some a couple of things since the last episode the first one is a comment on the last episode from brian whiskey bravo for echo sierra and this is relating to our discussion of coffee on the last episode he says done right coffee can be rather tasty and i agree aside from the occasional frappuccino i haven't been a huge a huge fan of coffee in the past either but I've been enjoying cold-brewed French vanilla for the last two months. I make it at home for just over one-tenth what Starbucks charges for it. And yes, if you're a coffee drinker, making it at home is much cheaper than ordering from Starbucks. Yeah, making anything at home is going to be cheaper than... Thanks, Brian. Whiskey Bravo for Echo Sierra. And yes, it is much more economical to make coffee at home, just we don't ever do it. I also got an email from Serge Struband. Oscar November 4 Alpha Alpha, uh, who sent this. He says, Dear Russ, here is a link that might interest you and the contest, the contesters in your audience. It's a link to running WinTest, which is a contest logger for Windows, under Linux. It explains how to set up WinTest under Wine. And then he says, Personally, I prefer to use Play on Linux over Wine. Play on Linux offers the concept of virtual drives, much like Crossover's Bottles. Moreover, Play on Linux is free and install scripts can be shared. WinTest supports many international contests and can be hooked up to many transceivers. Ready contesters will be happy to hear that WinTest also links to MMTTY. Unlike FLDigi, MMTTY offers true FSK switching, not audio or pseudo FSK. He also says, I enjoy listening to your enjoyable voice. Aww. An informative podcast when driving long stretches. It keeps me safe from boredom and speeding in my old BMW. 7-3 Day Surge, Oscar November 4, Alpha Alpha. That's very cool. Thanks, Surge, for that little bit of information. 
You can also check out WinTest itself at www.win-test.com. So that's all our feedback and announcements for this episode. So we're moving on to our prime segment, segment number five, Cheryl's Recipe Corner. The recipe this time is for baked lemon chicken, which uses uh, boneless chicken breasts, butter, lemon juice, flour, onion, garlic, and salt and pepper. And you dredge your chicken in flour and melt some butter in a pan and toss all that in the oven and then baste it with lemon juice and onion and garlic and poof, you have lemon chicken. Of course, the whole recipe will be in the show notes. And have you actually made lemon chicken here? You haven't, have you? I have made lemon chicken many, many years ago. I did not use this recipe, though. I see. So this is a new recipe. Not sure how it's going to taste. So I did a lemon chicken once, but it wasn't exactly like this one. I uh, took uh, whole chicken, and I put it in foil, and I put uh, secret herbs and spices, you know, just a traditional... <laughs> secret herbs? Oh, yeah. Secret herbs and spices. Secret herbs and spices? Secret recipe, you know? And uh, I threw in some lemon wedges, and it all cooked in its own steam, and it was, like, very lemony. It was really, really nice. Sounds interesting. Maybe yes. Pete should submit his recipe yes, for the recipe corner. I don't remember. Right. See, Cheryl I does do the same thing. thing. Yep. Anyway, so moving on from Cheryl's recipe corner, let's do the social media roundup and pack this all in. Yay! Yay. Okay, well, this week we have one person uh, with a monthly subscription. Nobody joined us on Facebook. Well, you don't want to mention who that person is? Oh, duh. Sorry. <laughs> Steve Conklin, monthly. Yay, Steve. Yay. <laughs> Nobody on Facebook. Victor Torres and Andrew Stevens on Google Plus. Dick Turpin, K4CDN, Pitmaster Q3, and Radio underscore Mart on Twitter. Tess Flynn and Victor Torres on YouTube. No new people on the mailing list. Nothing got sold. Nope, that's pretty much standard around here. And Dick Turpin, by the way, is actually the host of a podcast, uh, the Dick Turpin Road Show. It's uh, out of the UK, so that's another show you can choose. I don't actually know what that one's about. I think I listened to an episode once upon a time, but I think it was just kind of a generalist thing, kind of like the No Agenda podcast. But I know that John, the nice guy, Spriggs, who is also a listener of our show, listens to his show and uh, has interactions and stuff like that on Twitter. So maybe there's some ham radio content there or some uh, open source content. I'm not sure. But if you want to check out the Dick Turpin Roadshow, there you go. Another thing to waste your time. With that, unless we have some more commentary in the chat room or some more commentary from any of our hosts... Well, there's lots of chatter in the chat room, and it looks like there may be some chatter in there about upcoming topics for future episodes, but we won't touch on those tonight. So we probably should move to uh, pushing some buttons and uh, getting on out of here. All right, that means the music has started, because we can hear it. I can hear it. I can hear it, too. All right, excellent. So you can become an ambassador to Linux in the Ham Shack. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or HamFest. And we also love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info, comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter, or leave a voicemail for us at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. We'd like to hear from you. You can visit with us on our IRC channel, either during the show or any other time. There's usually folks in there to chat with. That's at Pound LHS Podcast on the Freenode Network. Go ahead and sign up for our mailing list if you feel so inclined. It's low volume, and we post stuff in there about contests, upcoming events, ambassador opportunities, and other stuff when we get around to it. You can find our show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts. You can buy them at cafepress.com slash podcast. You can also help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. You can listen to us live every other Monday at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Tuesday 0100 Zulu during the summer, 0200 Zulu in the wintertime. You can hear all the stuff that gets cut out of the released version. 
Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. And you can check out lhspodcast.info for everything you ever wanted to know about the show. Thank you to all of our listeners, live and quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate each and every one of you. And thanks for tuning in to episode number 152 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm your host, Russ, K5TUX, broadcasting from Studio 3D in the rolling hills of southwest Missouri, along with my co-host Cheryl, who sits across from me, and my other co-host Pete, B2XPL, who comes to us live from Montreal, Canada. Good night. night. (laughs) For everybody here, to all of you, we'll catch you in 14 days' time. Talk to you soon. I have done lost my place.